Let's just pray together. God, those words from the song that we just sang are so powerful. I will go where you lead me. God, you went where nobody could go or wanted to go. You went through Holy Week and through the cross in order to bring hope and joy and life and abundant life and eternal life to all who would follow you. This morning, Lord, we say to you, in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our inability to do it ourselves, but in our desire that you have placed in our hearts and in our deepest, most sincere, honest way, oh God, I will follow you. Help me every step of the way. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh God, may that be the prayer of our hearts this morning. May we be people devoted to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this new and beautiful day that we get to continue our journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to uh, be here. Good to uh, have the privilege of worshiping God in this uh, wonderful place and uh, with these wonderful people. Look around. Come on. Look at the people around. Come on. No, you're all staring straight ahead. Look around. Look around. Look around. These are awesome people. This is a gift. Let's give each other a hand. Yes, God is good. He's placed us here together. And speaking of good, how's your bracket? Your NCAA bracket? I know, I'm sorry. That's sort of some painful memories for some of you folks. Um, I am glad to say that Tammy Lockwood and I are still in it for Kentucky all the way. And uh, I'm kind of nervous about this afternoon, but we'll see what happens with that. You know, isn't it a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing, when your team, not the other, when your team scores a three-pointer on the buzzer to win the game. Isn't that awesome? Wow, you guys are dead here. Come on. That's amazing, right? It's a beautiful thing. Here's another beautiful thing. When the sun comes out in Chautauqua County, can I have a hand for that? Yes. Amen. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. How about this? When you crawl into bed with all your tasks done, that is a beautiful thing. When you get the news, it's a snow day. That is a beautiful thing. When you pour fresh maple syrup onto hot pancakes, that, that is a beautiful thing. When you see an old friend after many, many years. I got to see a friend this weekend that I haven't seen in, I think, almost 30 years. So cool. I know you didn't think I was that old, but anyway. <laughs> when she says yes to going to the prom, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. I know that feeling of fear beforehand. When you make that final car payment, that's a beautiful thing. 
When you pray with somebody in a hard time, mm, that is a beautiful, powerful thing. When you watch someone open up their hearts to Jesus for the very first time, have you ever seen that? I hope you have. If you don't, I urge you to pray for that because that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing to see. And when you yourself feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit in you because you have invited God in and God comes to meet you right where you are, that, friends, is a beautiful thing. Well, Jesus experienced some um, many beautiful things in his life, many hard things as well. We get to read this morning about a beautiful thing that he experienced uh, in our scripture today. Our scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 11. Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. For those of you who are new at the scripture thing, that's in the New Testament. It's the second book in the New Testament. It's okay to look it up in your concordance at the front. Nobody will judge you. That's a wonderful uh, way to grow. Mark chapter 14 and 1 through 11. Let's listen closely. This is God's word for us today. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for the stories of Jesus' life, the laws, the wisdom, the poems, the beauty, the prophecy, the hope, the challenge that you give to us in your word. We pray that we will always, always have hearts to hear that we will always stop what we are doing and listen to what you are saying. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our uh, fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're in our 
Dead Man Walking series, Jesus in his final week, and this is Wednesday. And on Wednesday, this extremely important, this, this shocking thing happens to Jesus. Isn't it fascinating how um, this passage begins and ends with tension and strife? It begins, it starts right out. It's Passover week, the festival's coming, and a whole bunch of important people want to kill Jesus. Wow. I mean, they are getting together to plan a way to kill another human being. Wow. And at the end of this passage, Judas Iscariot, for probably multiple reasons, it's hard to know why, decides that this is the moment to betray Jesus into the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And so he goes to them. He goes to them and he cuts a deal. I will deliver him to you in some appropriate manner, in some way in which it will not look bad in front of the crowds. And you'll give me some cash, right? Wow. I mean, he's basically agreeing to be a hitman. But in between those two really negative and awful things is this beautiful, beautiful passage of a person showing love for Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, is at the home of Simon the leper. This is in Bethany. Now, Jesus is at the home of a guy who most likely used to be a leper. If he was still a leper currently, they would uh, probably not be in the same vicinity as him. They would be worried about their own possibility of uh, contracting leprosy. They would also be worried about becoming unclean just before a big festival uh, in, in which they would not be allowed to participate if they were unclean ceremonially. And so Simon the leper is most probably a, a man who had leprosy and uh, whom Jesus healed. And because there's lots of Simons, they just call him Simon, the guy that used to have leprosy. Which actually, you know, is kind of like Lazarus, the guy that used to be dead. I mean, it's pretty cool to know that you're the person who's been saved from that. Simon, the one saved from leprosy. They're at his home and they're reclining at the table. Bethany is only a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Between Bethany and Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives that Jesus rode over on Palm Sunday in which we'll have to cross over again when he heads to Jerusalem for a final time. They're reclining at the table, which means they're having dinner, they're eating. And according to Jewish protocol at the time, this would just be men. Just be men. The women would be eating separately. They would, uh, one or two of them might come in occasionally and serve, but they would be in a separate place. Mark then records that a woman comes into the room. And in the other Gospels, we find out who that woman is, but I'm not going to say that today. Because Mark just says she's a woman. And let's just own how Mark decided to tell the story. Because he was writing to particular people. And what I think is amazing is that he doesn't want to distract us with 
who she is and maybe some other stories that we might know about her. It's enough for him to say, a woman walked in and did this. And he's saying, wow, this is enough. It's amazing enough. She had, apparently, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Now, for years, I wondered what alabaster was because I remember that uh, song uh, by Sting in The Police, something about uh, alabaster in uh, I'll Change Your, Your Heart to Alabaster or something like that. And I was always like, oh, wow, I should look that up. Well, guess what? I finally looked it up. I mean, it's been like 30 years. Okay, so it's a soft white rock that's used for carving, and they made a lot of perfume bottles out of it because it was rock, but you could actually carve it pretty easily, and so they would create these bottles. Um, uh, Clinton Arnold says these bottles, these or jars, stood five to nine inches tall with a long, narrow neck that was used to restrict the flow, and so they were able to carve out, even though it was rock, it was soft enough, they were able to carve out a perfume bottle that's wider on the bottom, has a narrow neck, and um, that's used to, to hold perfume. The commentator David McKenna notes, it was custom for hospitality to be shown to an honored or distinguished guest by sprinkling their head with one or two drops of a fragrant nard or fragrant oil of some sort. So when this person came in, when this woman came in and she pulls out a jar of very expensive perfume, everyone's thinking, oh, okay, this is kind of that hospitality blessing moment. We're going to get a, a whiff of this beautiful perfume. That'll be wonderful. But that's not what she does. She breaks the neck of the jar. And she pours the entire thing on his head. It was truly shocking to everyone involved, especially anyone who knew, and apparently they all did, just how expensive this stuff was. I mean, if there was ever an all-in moment, this was it. I am so all-in with you that I'm just going to come and do this amazing, expensive thing and pour this perfume out. Then the neck of the, the bottle was broken. It was pure nard. What is pure nard? I love looking this stuff up. It's interesting. Nard comes from the underground stems of a flowering plant of the Valerian family that only grows between 10,000 and 16,000 feet in the Himalayas. Really? I mean, that's cool. In Nepal, in Tibet, in India, it's the only place in the world that nard is found. Now, we're talking the Middle East. We're talking a good thousand or more miles away. We're talking stuff that had to be hauled down to India and floated or taken on camels all the way to the place where they are at that time, which is Israel. It's a, it's a big deal. By the way, you can get a fake version in the spray dispenser for $19.95 at the JerusalemGiftShop.com. <laughs> Check that out. <clears throat> this gift is extravagant. It's worth at least 300 denarii 
which is more than a year's wages. It was said that they could survive on 200 denarii. That was what many people got. It's far more than a year's wages. I looked up the average household income in the town of Ellery, according to the census data. You know what it is? $67,348. So um, let's just kind of round up. This is more than a year's wages, right? So let's just round up to 75 grand. In today's money, this is not a practical choice on her part. This is the most expensive bottle of perfume you've ever seen. How would you feel if uh, someone spent that kind of money on you? I, um, I brought with me <laughs> Bleu de Chanel from Coco Chanel. Now, <clears throat> guys, if you think Axe is not, it's got nothing on this. This is, put this on and the women will just run, I'm telling you. <laughs> this is amazing stuff. This is amazing. Now, this, this, this is from my sister. Now, I am privileged to, to let you know that my sister uh, works occasionally, like at Christmas time, um, but sometimes other times, for um, Chanel. And so she gets this stuff really cheap, like highly discounted. But even highly discounted, this is like a major Christmas gift, okay? I, I, if I dropped this right now, I would be so sad. I want you to know that I've been restricted to one pump of this. That if there's more than one pump, then other people start coughing, and it's a little bit overwhelming, okay? All right? This is potent stuff. Now, if you poured this stuff out on anybody's head, it would have just been unbelievable what the smell is. And this is only Blue de Chanel. I mean, this is not pure nard from 10,000 feet up in the Himalayan mountains 2,000 years ago. This is a crazy, crazy thing that that much money was spent and that precious a thing was given. She pours the whole bottle on his head. The fragrance overload must have been over the top. Did you catch that? I thought that was good. The head over the All right, I'm working on it here. <laughs> the disciples were truly shocked. It says that they rebuked her harshly. Have you been harshly rebuked? I, I, I have, and it's painful. I'm genuinely sorry for when I have done it to others, and it hurts when I've experienced. What are you doing? A few drops is appropriate. $75,000 worth of perfume poured over a guy's head is inappropriate. Just think what we could have done with that money. It's fascinating. The disciples betray not only their, their um, um, harshness towards her, but the fact that Jesus is like, no, this is cool. This is good. They're rebuking him too. I mean, why didn't he rebuke her? They take it upon themselves. You were wrong to do this. <clears throat> we could have used it for the poor. She's violated protocol. She's violated their sense of practicality. 
Ken Geyer says, her actions are a breach of etiquette in that culture. She did not know her place as a woman, which was not to come to the table, except for possibly a brief moment of serving. But really, weren't her actions actually the most appropriate for a man who has communicated clearly that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed? Wasn't it actually the men at the table by ignoring his statement that his death was imminent who were most inappropriate? She comes and she anoints him for burial. That's what Jesus says. I don't think she necessarily knew that, maybe. But she anoints him. David McKenna says, the debate over the waste of beauty never lets up. Some people consider works of art or music or theater or great literature a waste of money. Others find their souls soaring because they've heard a song that touches their heart or they've been to an art museum and seen incredible artwork. Jesus is on the side of artists, McKenna writes, on the side of dramatists and poets and musicians. He commends the woman's impractical and non-productive act of devotion. And McKenna ends by saying, sunsets are wasteful too. What practicality is there in a sunset? But aren't you glad they're there? Don't you literally, if you have a choice, place your windows on the side of the house where you can see the sunset? You literally orient your life around beauty. We all do. I suspect that many of us are very practical. Many of us, perhaps still, even with all this, have a problem with what this woman did with the money that she had bound up in this perfume. But friends, I think that deep down, all of us are lovers of beauty. All of us crave beautiful things. All of us appreciate something of beauty. And even though it's shocking what she did, it was truly a beautiful thing. Jesus himself says so. I remember once when I had been away from home for uh, almost a year, I went to church and I heard the organ play and it just choked me up. It made me cry. I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard that in so long. It was so meaningful to me. She breaks the bottle and pours the whole thing on his head and Jesus says, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing what she's done to me. Sometimes the spontaneity of extravagant love breaks out of the normal channels and just rockets across the sky like fireworks. Her act shocks everyone, maybe even herself, as the fragrance hits her. That's how love is sometimes. It's extravagant. When you love somebody, you just want to give your whole self to them. In America, the average cost of a wedding is $26,645. We spend big money on an event which we think is worthy of such extravagance. Jesus rebukes them. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, and she will always be remembered for it. 
she is today, isn't she? 2,000 years later, we are remembering this extravagant act that somebody did. Jesus notes that she has poured the perfume out on his head and she has done, uh, she, let's see, she, she has done what she could. Doesn't that sort of um, uh, remind you of the widow who gives her last two mites? That's all she had, all in. And this woman gives this most expensive thing that she has, she lets it all go to Jesus. Jesus is worth, worth this much. In fact, I would argue Jesus is worth far more than $75,000 in today's money. Jesus is worth giving your whole life to. And so today, as uh, we have a baptism and we have some reaffirmations of of baptism and we have young people confirming their faith. They're saying, I will follow Jesus no matter what. Confirmation is saying, I am all in. And what is the most precious possession that 16, 17, 18, maybe 19 year old students have? Well, it's probably not the bucks, is it? Or the amazing car or the bottle of perfume worth $75,000, I would suggest it's their future, their dreams, their life, themselves. And what they are saying today and what each of us, I hope, are saying today in our heart of hearts is, Jesus, I am all in in following you. You are not only Savior, you are Lord. And if you are Lord, that means you call the shots in my life. The agenda is yours. The calling you put on my life, I will follow. I will submit all decisions to you. I'll run everything past you. Where should I go to school? Who should I marry? Where should I get work? Should I go to the military? What kind of things should I do? How should I spend this money you've given to me? Should I buy that car or not? How about that house? Should I rent? What about these people? Am I hanging out with the right folks? Should I be hanging out with, quote unquote, the wrong folks because my heart is so burdened to draw them to you, Lord? What am I doing to feed myself spiritually? How am I spending my precious time? Friends, we honor God this morning with our declarations of devotion. What that woman did when she poured that perfume out was a statement of honor, an extravagant statement of love and honor. And what was Jesus' response? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to own who I truly am. And his further response was to pour out his most precious possession, his blood, poured out for all of us on the cross. Early Methodists were accused of enthusiasm because their lives had been so radically changed by the renewal and the new life that, that following God had done, had been given to them and, and had done for them, that, that they would just dance for joy and shout and clap and be thankful. And people said, they're very enthusiastic in their worship. It's highly disturbing. 
Those people hadn't been to an NCAA tournament game. I mean, it was serious. And that kind of thing is what we have the opportunity to do. We have the opportunity to pour out ourselves to Jesus, saying, thank you for what you have poured out for me. Your alabaster body broken so that my broken body could be made whole. Broken people who experience renewal and life are the most grateful. Sabres fans, Bills fans, someday it'll happen. And when it does, we will be more grateful than anybody out there. It will be awesome, but it will, of course, be nothing compared to what it means when your life is turned around. That just is so fleeting compared to your life, your absolute changed perspective and the hope that you have. Ken Geyer says, soon Jesus' body will be broken and his blood poured out, a perfume more precious than nard. She anointed him with her most precious perfume. He would soon anoint the world with his most precious blood. I love this. I'll bet she didn't regret it. And neither did he. And friends, neither will we. Let's pray. Oh God, you have given us everything. You gave your everything for us. May we not respond by thinking, uh, how can I give an hour or two here back to God? A little token. May we respond by saying, Lord, I owe all to you. And so I declare today everything of me belongs to you. You don't ask us to necessarily pour out our perfume or sell our houses for you or something like that, God. But you ask us to be reminded that none of it really belongs to us. And that if you asked and it was necessary that we should do it. You ask us to be reminded that you alone are Lord and that you deserve, you are worth the giving of our very selves, our futures, our dreams, our lives to you. Surrendering all to a Savior and to a Lord who gets to call the shots. God, today, as those who are baptized and those who confirm their faith go through this process, we pray that all of us will be inspired to once again, even in this moment, say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray it. Amen.